Welcome to Getting My Cheese Back on My Tracker. I am Ashley Nicole. And I'm Paige Benjamin of the Comic Travels. Thank you for joining us today as we have another great discussion on different aspects of mental health in our community coming right up after work from our sponsors. Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again, um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, zero dollars, zero cents. So go ahead Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too. Welcome to this episode of Getting My Cheese Back on My Cracker. I'm sure you saw the title and are ready to get down to business. In this episode, we will be discussing the mantra of pray it away and trying Jesus as we find a way to maintain our mental health and um, our spiritual relationships. So that's the topic for tonight, religion and mental health. Let's meet our panelists. Um, Reverend Sheila. Good evening. I am Reverend Sheila. I am the pastor of Cafe Word Ministries um, in the bookstore of um, um, the village of South Orange, um, which is Cafe Word Bookstore. And my ministry is a ministry in a non-Paris setting. And as Paige said, um, not only bridging the older generation and the younger generation, but bridging the sacred and the secular um, community together. Okay. Um, hi everyone, my name is Terrell Fierce. Um, I'm a licensed minister at Higher Dimension Church in Houston, Texas. I'm also the founder of a nonprofit organization called Cash Your Cares, um, a nonprofit organization geared towards doing work uh, with helping people to uh, find their balance between uh, religion um, and their mental health, bridging that gap between those two. Um, so I'm happy to be here this evening. And my name is Queen. I am a yoga instructor and educator here in Houston, Texas, and a member of our Dimension Church. Um, I am the owner of Sacred Spaces Yoga, so I am certified in vinyasa yoga, as well as holy yoga, which is a Christian-based yoga, which I do use as a tool um, to help with mental illness. Well, thank you all for joining. Um, during this conversation, I want to reflect on growing up where the remedies for everything that couldn't be cured over the counter were taken to the altar. Whether we were injured, had a big test coming up, 
or we were dealing with loss of a lost one, um, one thing that remained constant was that it could be fixed through prayer requests. For those of us who grew up in religion, how did you handle conversations of larger issues? How did you feel about praying as a means to working through the issues, including but not limited to mental health? And the floor is open to whoever wants to start off the conversation. Okay, I'll, um, I'll jump in there. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, my my uh, upbringing as far as religion, uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, my family's from Louisiana. Um, so uh, Catholicism is a big part of uh, a lot of that people from that uh, area. So I actually grew up seeing my grandfather go to mass seven days a week to get up and go to for prayer at 6 a.m. He would be up at 6, 8, 5 a.m. and he would go to mass to kneel and pray seven days a week. So I saw prayer as a staple from the patriarch of our family. Um, I remember even being a young boy when my uh, uncle was deployed in Desert Storm. I don't know if y'all remember that storm, but Desert Storm uh, in Iraq. And I remember it was something uh, very bad happened or we were just kind of you know, kind of fearful for his life. And I remember the entire family being around my grandfather's bed. We were on our knees and we were doing the rosary uh, beads. I can still have that vague memory. I'm 36, but I still remember being on my knees around the bed doing the rosary beads. So um, prayer was ingrained in, uh, in the fabric of our family DNA. Um, and that was pretty much, you know, how we handled everything. If you had uh, something like health going on, it was prayer. If it was, you know, somebody was dealing with what we know now as a mental health challenge, it was, you know, just bring it to Jesus, you know, just uh, just go pray and, you know, that'll, that'll fix it. So um, it was the means. Uh, I can't recall anyone in my family now that I can look back uh, who had some type of mental health um, issue or challenge or a period in their life where we knew that uncle so-and-so was, you know, he was with his therapist or aunt such and such was, you know, in a support group. Uh, it was it was always just prayer. And that's what I was raised and accustomed to uh, as the end all be all for how we get through things we struggle with mentally. Yeah, I agree. And I would even say as an example of this morning, uh, for me, I woke up with allergies and sinus and anxiety and all these things. And I text my family and my mom said, just go to your prayer closet. And I was like, well, for, I'm gonna go to CVS and get some medicine. And I may go take a COVID test because you just never know, like, you know, those practical things that she means well, right? But it's even for things that can be fixed with over-the-counter medicine. And, and I, you know, we know that prayer changes things, right? That's what we hear all the time. But though it's those practical tools a lot of times that we miss. And growing up, that was, it was definitely pray about it all the time. Uh, and that I didn't see a lot of, and I think that's why now, like I'm very, very stronghold on what is the practical because we are to be the hands and the feet of God and he's given us these tools and we're not using them. Um, so even I can remember growing up for one, we didn't talk about mental illness. Um, it did not exist. 
-hmm. and not in a sense that we were afraid of it but i also think it's a cultural thing that nobody had we don't have time to be depressed right so those were just things that that never came up but as i look back at some of the things that my family was going through like you know i don't want to tell all my, my family business but my sister like she she has anxiety when it's time to take a test we never called it anxiety right mm -hmm. um and it was just let's pray right and there but there are tools and it's not necessarily tools that are medication there's tools that god gives us like our breath that can help us regulate that anxiety and things like that that we just i mean it was just a lack of knowledge at some point at some point it was a lack of knowledge and it's from generations of generations and that's all that we know our parents were taught that our grandparents were taught that um that is to take it to god and not saying that we shouldn't take it to god we definitely should but i i'm convinced that god gives us an answer and he gives us practical tools to use in this world for healing Perhaps. Well, since I am from um, uh, the little bit older generation, but not that old, <laughs> I, was raised, <laughs> I was raised by the silent generation. Just to give you um, a sneak preview, my auntie lived to be 102. She just passed away a couple of years ago. So she was the queen of the missionary, New Point Baptist Church, Missionary Baptist Church. And she was um, a prayer warrior. And um, growing up in a house with her, um, she was always praying, you know, um, mental health, where it relates to mental health, there was no such thing as mental health. We had a lot of people in our family that, yes, they needed help, um, but they got prayer. They didn't get any other help. And to say that, you know, to, to the word mental was a stigma too. You know, you couldn't say someone was mental because then, you know, they called it crazy, you know, and, you know, they definitely didn't want to say they had anybody in the family that was crazy. So um, this auntie, she prayed all the time. Um, uh, all night long, even in the middle of the night. And um, I, um, at the age of 16, I got pregnant and actually they did not, they did not deal with it with me until I was almost seven months pregnant. And therefore I, only thing I knew was to pray. And um, I was in school, I was a senior in, in high school. And the only thing that I, you know, when I got up in the morning and then I went to school up until I was um, seven months pregnant. No, 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 yeah, seven months pregnant. I went to school up until then. And um, the only thing I knew to do because I wasn't telling anybody, I only had one girlfriend that I told. Um, but other than that, the only thing I knew was to pray and just ask God to, you know, guide me through it and, and help me with, I'm 16. I had no idea what it was like to become a mother. And so prayer in our house was like the only thing that um, I knew to do at, a, you know, at a juncture in my life um, where um, I needed so much more 
I, I didn't, I'm not gonna say I need more than prayer. I just needed much more support with the prayer warriors to, you know, guide me and walk me through it. Let us pray together, you know, through it. So um, prayer has always been essential and I am grateful for that because now I have now taken the role of prayer warrior. So um, uh, yeah, prayer is essential. Thank you, thank you. I definitely, I agree. Um, I don't think that, so I'm about the same age. Most of us are about the same age. And coming from like a small town in Mississippi, like um, I said earlier, I was baptized when I was seven. So um, we, when we went to church, you can see and hear the elders and the deaconess and the deacons, they're praying, they're shouting, you can hear them down the street. So in my little mind, like I knew what I was doing when I did get baptized. I'm not one of those kid children that got baptized because that's what everybody else was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. You know, the pastor talked to you and talked through those things. But even in my mind, like if I have a test or somebody's messing with me in school, I need to figure out how to make my prayers sound like uh, Deacon, Deacon Evans and uh, <laughs> Brother Jones because otherwise God can't hear me when at the same time, like now as a grown up, I'm like, okay, so God is telling me things. I don't have to holler for him to hear me. He don't have to hear me down the street telling him how much, telling him an hour long about how much I love him and every little grass, every little uh, raindrop that fell. Cause you know, some of those prayers got real specific. So um, even with dealing with my, my mental health, it literally took a physical change for me saying, okay, Ashley, you prayed enough. There's, you said all the words that he's giving you that you can pray about this. So now it's time to do some work. Mm. So that's why that's another reason why I feel like this conversation is uh, really, really important. Um, let me ask you guys this. Do you feel that um, a lot of us, a lot of you guys, we said in our in this question that mental health wasn't really spoken of. Do you feel that the church um, acknowledges mental health or do you feel like we've moved um, made any major leaps and bounds in acknowledging mental health and dealing with mental health? Maybe a, a little. I mean, I think we see some improvement, but I think there's a lot to learn about what it looks like. And and I, one of the biggest things that I had to learn with my mental health is that sometimes God answers our prayers with no. I don't think I really was taught that. Mm -hmm. um, so when I first, and even with you know any other type of illness, a lot of times when I hear people praying about it, we're praying for healing and we're praying for those things and we're not necessarily praying for God's will because sometimes God's will is for you to have that, that illness, right? Um, Cause he uses all things. So I was praying and praying and praying for God to take my depression away. And he was continuously telling me no. And I was like, well, no, see Lord, that ain't how, that ain't what they told me. Mm -hmm. At Oliver Chapel Missionary Baptist Church, they they told me you answer all prayers, you know. And he's like, I am. I'm telling you, no. I'm telling you that I am going to use you mm -hmm. with this. I'm telling you that you're you're still my daughter. I'm, you know. And and those things were never taught to me, mm -hmm. you know. So I I think that that's that's another thing is with with the church even with you know with mental illness 
even if it is acknowledged, it's about praying it away. And it's not how to maintain. Um, there's definitely a stigma around medication. I, I think we've accepted therapy, but we haven't accepted some other alternatives. We haven't accepted the fact that it's a chemical imbalance, mm. right? I think we, we just think of depression and mental illness as like a situational thing mm -hmm. and not understanding that there's, I didn't have a bad childhood. You know, it's not like my, I'm not dealing with trauma and that's the reason why I have depression. So I think there's a lot of education that mm -hmm. still needs to be had about a lot of these mental illnesses. Wow. And I, I, I like that point because um, one of the things, and I like the fact that you said God was using no to use you further, right? So think about it. Um, there's over-the-counter medication because God gave a certain set of people that skill set. Their gift of service was through medicine, all right? Um, God gave us therapists because my sister, you, I can't just take this away. You got to work through what's causing this depression. Mm -hmm. um, I can't just fix your back. You need to go through physical therapy to fix this. And I think a lot of times we unknowingly dismiss God's gifts as men or women or the man, right, in, in, in a broader sense, as our his gift to us, to heal us, to help us heal, right? God gave us pastors and ministers and reverends and mm -hmm bishops and cardinals they god gave us a, a, a slew of people to help us the same way that they are able to translate the word of god to help us and guide us and allow us to be able to transition through life he gave us these other practitioners as well these practitioners may not be directly out the good book but these practitioners are of the knowledge that he's bestowed upon us does that make sense? Makes, yeah. And makes, sometimes, makes. and sometimes I think that that may be the disconnect, right? Um, you think about it, like a therapist and a psychiatrist are two different people, mm -hmm. right? To your point, I I, I don't want to say they're miseducated, but there's a stigma. Uh, the therapist is going to give you medication. The psychiatrist is the one that gives medication, right? A therapist helps walk you through it. Similar to how marriage counseling, especially through a church, is through a deacon, a reverend, or the pastor of the church. You know, the pastor is giving therapy to a couple to strengthen their bond in the future. He's not giving them medication. He's giving them, if anything, scriptures, the word of God to help them strengthen themselves. And so why is it that sometimes of the church, it's difficult to see the two is one and the same, right? We are all made in his image, whether his image is to make us um, whole again outside of the word through the gifts that he's given us or through the word, we are all made in his image and the gifts that he's given us all is to kind of help us one another work out, right? And so I think sometimes what happens is, you know, some of the people, leadership of the church forget hey, the hospitals exist for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. The doctors exist for a reason. Um, you know, there are bad people out there putting bad things into people's bodies, but that's not everyone. And you can pray for the doctor. 
You can pray for the therapist to ensure that they give you the proper guidance to where you need to be in life. Um, but I'll, I'll use an example. Um, my sister's a pediatrician. Um, my mom suffers from hypertension, um, uh, you name it, right? We're colored. So we have all of that. Um, I'm her baby child. Um, I got stuck in Haiti one time. Uh, no way of getting back home. I, we figured it out because I'm here, right? Um, she stressed to the point where she had a stroke. Now, instead of calling 911, instead of calling my sister, she was like, she tells me the story. She tells me the story, my sister the story, and her doctor the story. I put my hand up to God. I prayed to God to, 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 to take it away and to keep care of me. And we were all thankful that God took care of her in that moment. But we were also mad at her for not realizing that you are a certified nurse. You understand the ramifications of not seeking proper treatment. You know what I mean? And that's how um, extreme sometimes it can get. But I'll be honest, in that moment, I'm thankful for the fact that she found, and to go back to using yoga and breath, and because it's all about uh, the strength and belief in how that can impact your body, right? The mm -hmm. breath is powerful. And if you use it the right way, you can channel your breath to different parts of your body, to strengthen different parts of your body. Um, and faith gives that to some people, but it's not without its faults, if that makes any sense, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm not going to take over the conversation, but I, I want you guys to kind of, I, I just wanted to add that because there's the good and the bad and the ugly of it, right? Um, we, we want people to understand that there's nothing wrong through prayer, but mm -hmm. understand at the same time, there are situations that prayer is a supplement to what God has already put us here for. Does that make sense, everyone? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I'm sorry. That was no, a lot. <laughs> no, it's rich. Um, I was kind of pondering on everything that's been said, even about like, you know, how is, is, do we feel like we're making progress in the church in regards to mental health? And, um, I, feel, I believe just like Queen said, we are making some strides, um, but just not in its totality. Um, I feel like that people like us are trailblazing and being um, uh, ambassadors and uh, just making the conversation more known. Like um, I actually preached my first sermon um, at the church called Don't Panic When Anxiety Attacks. Mm -hmm. I got my call to preach in 2017 and you know, I thought about what, you know, what can my first message be about? You know, I, I was looking at all different types of scripture where I could go and the Lord kept pressing it on my heart, you know, talk, come from your own authenticity, um, you know, talk about how um, you had mental health challenges with anxiety and, you know, just use that as your message. And I was a little apprehensive, a little nervous to think about how would the church, you know, receive a sermon geared towards a mental health conversation, talking about anxiety in the church. And, um, you know, just from there, it just kind of got the ball rolling. Um, I think too, the church sometimes get, you know, kind of misaligned. You know, one third of Jesus' ministry was a healing ministry. You know, one third of it was healing and not in healing, like you said, um, you know, that could look like a conversation with a therapist or, 
you know, um, you know, it's all forms of that healing. And I think that when you, that's the kind of part that is shied away from the church when you get to talking about all forms of healing. Um, you know, we just think about how you, we think about it biblically. Um, but you, Jesus, he, um, uh, just thinking about it, you know, it says in scripture, he grew in stature and in wisdom with God and man. So, you know, God, that's prayer. And also with men, we, we need to talk to somebody. Um, so, you know, we just kind of look, take a deeper look. We'll see, you know, how there is some opportunity and uh, we just got to get back in the line with it as well. Right. So I think that, um, I think that one of the problems that, um, that the church um, struggles with is the transparency that when you think about um, when you think about mental illness and anxiety and, and and any form of mental illness, number one, there's what's needed is a strategic plan and um, on you know how to educate on this on that subject matter because it's such a touchy subject matter. You know, it's easy. It's easier to say, let's pray it away, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, uh, to really um, look at, at the entire congregation and the benefits that the congregation is going to have from having that kind of education. But it has to be transparent that it's not, uh, you know, to the point where it, it puts people out on front street that, you know, it takes away their privacy. Transparent at the same time, you know, allowing them to have their privacy about it. And so I think with that, that's where um, it's easier to say, let's pray about it. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to put it on the agenda. But sometimes, you know, business as usual on the agenda, it doesn't come to the top three mm. um, subject matters. Uh, that are serious. I mean, it's it's a serious subject matter because it affects. If we look at it and we and we look at any congregation, all you have to do is sit back and look around, and you it's very visible. But it's something that we don't want to touch. That you know, we're just going to take it to the Lord in prayer. And I, I let me tell you, I am truly a prayer warrior. I take everything to the Lord in prayer. I talk to the Lord all day. You know, it's like constant conversation, but. God expects us to have some, you know, um, you know, practical work going on here. You know, he says, I give you, you know, I give you this mind, you know, I want this mind in you to be the mind in me, but I give you this mind so that you can seek out the help that you need. But again, that's, a, that's the church coming together and looking at millennials, you guys and girls are not having it. <laughs> You know, uh, it's just not going to be that way anymore. And now the older generation must sit at the table of brotherly and sisterly love and less reason together on this. And listen, healing through hearing what you have to say. The whole church needs healing. You know, the whole congregation needs some form of healing. There's something going on mentally, which I guess brings us to that point of 
spirituality as opposed to religion. And so that might lead us into that next conversation that we're gonna have here, but it's looking at the external and the internal and how do you handle and you bridge the gap between the two. So Rev, real quick, um, how, how do you have this conversation with your peers, right? And when I say your peers, you're the, um, the mature, right? Members of the cloth and older and allowing them to understand that this is something that's hindering the millennials from wanting to come to church or traditional church, right? Because church, traditional church is changing, right? Um, it's, it's, you know, when we look at African cultures, there used to be a changing of the guards, a rite of passage. Um, there used to be a time where, and unfortunately it was only when the chief dies that um, their heir takes over, right? Um, is that happening in traditional church or it's the next person in line that, you know, um, has been on the, on the board for as long as the church has been around that then takes over in, in succession? Okay, so now we're looking at how denominations are run, right? Okay. Mm. You know, um, in um, Baptist, AME, those are the two that, you know, I can, I can speak to that I've gone through process. And um, uh, it's, it doesn't necessarily go from the person, you know, the person dying in the next in line, like uh, uh, in the AME church, there's a bishop and there's an, an inst institute and a process that you go through. And so if someone passed away, then the bishop is going to appoint someone. And it doesn't have to be um, anyone in that, con in that congregation that's on a ministerial staff, you know, not necessarily. It could be from another, um, another state, another congregation, AME as well. So, um, I, I just want to stay on point with your with your question, um, which, which is very near and dear to my heart. Um, how millennials and the next generation of ministerial leaders, or those that are in line, are looking at us, who are the influence, and what is the reason that many millennials aren't in the church is because um, they, they don't see themselves. You know, they, they see what they see as the leadership, but they don't see themselves. They don't see themselves as giving any input to, you know, what, what is it going to take to help them to usher them into the kingdom. And so, um, I hope I answered that. Um, yeah, you did. I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I probably, that the analogy probably didn't fit the, the church, right? Um, but the thing is, it, it, you answered the question exactly as, as I imagined it, right? How does 
ministers like you know yourself in your church right talking about um you know anxiety right how do you so are you looked at different from the traditional sermons right not talking about anxiety versus talking about you know straight scripture and no antidotes to apply the scripture to does that give you um you know and and i i talked to rev about um how a lot of people and and um uh, this is going to be a little bit off topic but i'm gonna bring it back I talked to Rev about how a lot of people listen to Joel Osteen, right? Who's not a preacher, who's not a pastor, who's not any um, of, of an ordained position. Um, he leverages antidotes to bring people back to the word, right? And the way he tells the story is of a way that people can receive it and then possibly go and search the information for themselves. Um, and the way other people provide the word and the information may not be as consumable, right? And the fact that you're coming in and talking about anxiety, right? How does, how do you, how was that received? Cause I know you said that you were worried about that. How was that received when you did that? And yeah, we'll, we'll just stick to that and then we, we will go over to the next topic. Right. So wait a minute, so you're-, you're No, no, not to, not to Reverend Shilla. Yeah, oh, so, yeah, yeah. Oh, for real. Yeah, I, I, when you said that, I thought you was talking to me. <laughs> right. um, I would say it was overwhelmingly accepted. Um, mm -hmm. I remember days after I preached that sermon, Don't Panic When Anxiety Attacks, that my Instagram and my Facebook private messaging was absolutely blown up, y'all. Literally, mm -hmm. people uh, was inboxing me saying, I struggle with anxiety. I've had a panic attack. Um, I could relate. I mean, it was literally overwhelming. I didn't know that it, it was kind of awake. It, it awakened me that, hey, to one, it reminded me to where you're not alone in this. You're not the only one who had anxiety or had a panic attack because people were coming out of the woodwork saying that blessed me, that helped me. Um, and um, I commend you for being open because I've never talked about it. I've had panic attacks and didn't even know to call it that. And so I heard that in your sermon. Um, so it was kind of like, wow, okay, one, you're not alone in this. And two, there's a grand opportunity for the, the congregation to get help in this area. Um, so it was, it was definitely well received. And I think too, it had to go back to transparency because from a public platform to say that I was on the highway and my heart started to pound out of my chest I had to pull over I didn't know what was happening when I was having an anxiety attack um, I think people especially our generation millennials connected because of transparency not trying to look like the preacher or the pastor who have it all together but saying hey look I'm up here preaching right now but I've had a panic attack you know I, I've had issues that cause physical reactions in my body um, you know so I believe millennials want to connect more with authenticity and transparency because it's all about keeping it real and being 100 and they want to know you know like is this real what I'm hearing so um it was definitely um well received and it kind of set me on the path to want to continue this conversation in the local church just because of the response to it 